I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Seth with Hornady. Thanks for tuning in on the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, and I'm joined today live at the Dallas Safari Club by Dave Folson of Safari Classics. Dave, thanks for sitting down with me. Seth, we've been trying to do this for a while. I've really been looking forward to it, and here we are at the, I can't think of a better place to do it than the DSC convention. This is an amazing convention. You know, it's one that I've been to several times, and it's the first really trade show, if you will, of the year for us as a manufacturer. And it's, it's like coming back to family. You, you can't walk 20 yards down the booth without running into people you know or you met last year. And uh, it really feels like a, it's a family environment. It's a fun environment. And we love coming to this place. Well, you know, people ask me, tell me about the DSC convention. And I always start by saying, well, it's a place where the entire hunting world comes to Dallas for four days in January. And it is really the greatest gathering of hunters and hunter conservationists on planet earth i mean there's not a show to match it you know manufacturers are here outfitters are here uh you know all of our television sponsors are here and the people and we'll talk about our tv shows but it's a great way to talk uh you know one-on-one with you know with folks that tune in every week and and uh you know make our tv show uh possible and hear their comments and you know pats on the back are always nice to hear and indeed uh, it's just, like you said, you, a great gathering of old friends, and every year you're going to make a lot of new friends. And, of course, we, we all are making new customers as well and getting to interface with our old customers. And it's just a, it's just the most unique gathering of like-minded people anywhere on earth. I have to agree, and you mentioned a really good point there, is that it's from the world. You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of cool trade shows and a lot of cool gatherings around mm. the country. But this one brings so many people from so many other parts of the world. And when you do that, yeah, you get a really eclectic group. Any, any type of conservation, any type of hunting mm. that, you want, that you're interested in, you can find it here. And then the fact that we're in beautiful Texas, you could invite nobody else and Texas could support this whole show just with Texans. Well, it's, it's absolutely true. And, and, you know, no matter where you come from, I think. One of the one of the things that you know our our uh, we call all of our vendors partners because that's exactly what they are at DSC. You know we're they're seen as partners. We're all in this all in this together, and you know we constantly hear Texas hospitality, DSC. I mean, you are made to feel welcome when you're here because you really are welcome, and then they they enjoy having us here. They appreciate the business. They appreciate the partnership and. Yeah, they're just not a friendlier. They're just not a friendlier place in the world. Of course, being a native Texan, yeah, you know that always makes me feel good. Uh, you know, when people, uh, you know, just say just the attitude. Everybody's friendly and everybody's happy. And everybody, you can look at all these people are having a good time looking at new products. And yep. uh, there's there's not a place like it, Seth. That's true, and I love to see that as the crowds show up. You've got the three year old that's running around with our Hornady ball cap on, and they bring the family, and that's. That's cool, too. So to change gears a little bit, now Hornady and Safari Classics have had a really great relationship, done a lot of cool things, and and likewise with the Dallas Safari Club. But before we get there, um, you know, Dave, you mentioned you were a Texan. 
Growing up in Texas, were you running around hunting? What got you into the outdoors, and then what led to what became Safari Classics? Seth, my story is a little bit different because when most people meet me, you know, maybe they come over to your house, and you know, I'm my wife tells people our house is kind of like if Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's had a baby. <laughs> yeah, you that's know, what it looks like. But they say, you know, boy, you must have come from a big hunting family. My dad was a fisherman. Nobody in my family hunted. My dad had probably killed a hundred ducks and a couple of hundred doves in his life. But I always tell people for the same reason a, a, a English pointer gets up when he's six weeks old and points at a butterfly, he doesn't know exactly why he's doing it, but it just feels right. And it maybe it's some kind of instinct, but I knew that, that, you know, I was always interested in the outdoors and I always wanted to be outside, you know, from the BB gun up to, you know, double, you know, express rifles and stuff. Uh, I just always knew this was the place for me. And Seth, I just turned 63. I have never had a job outside of the outdoor uh, hunting and fishing business. And, you know, hunting's been the, you know, certainly the primary, you know, part of my livelihood. But, uh, you know, it is, I really did turn a vacation into a vocation. Yeah. So, uh, but I started like most kids, you know, I was fortunate, you know, I I had to, you all got to be introduced. And while my parents, you know, did not understand this phobic desire of mine, you know, to keep doing things and wanting to travel and go to scary places that probably scared them to death at a very early age, right. uh, you know, it's, it's, I was, I was dedicated to, to doing it. And I think if you find out strongly enough the what, you'll come up with the how. Sure. And so, you know, I eventually had some friends that, you know, dads had deer leases and, you know, it was, you know, get invited to this, you know, a whitetail, then an antelope. And, you know, then one day I want to maybe, you know, in some dream world, I'll get to shoot an elk and then maybe a bear. And then the dream of all dreams, because I was a voracious reader. I still am. This place called Africa. Oh, one yeah. day. Now, I, I grew up a, a very blue collar family, a kid from Hearst, Texas. And I thought my chances of going to Africa would be on par of you know being the pilot on the space shuttle yeah going to the moon <laughs> but but it's funny like i said i was very clear on what i wanted and i just had to figure out the how and and uh you know eventually you know the, the that elk came along and the bears came along and then then africa and you know i say today uh, you know we hear the term i'm an african-american I, you know for years and years i could probably qualify as an american african uh, because you know i've <laughs> you spent a, a lot of time i've there. been a great deal of my uh professional career and certainly my adult life in the dark continent and uh you know it uh it you've been there i mean it it is a soul grabber and it is anybody that's experienced it you know will agree that it's it just does something to you and i like hunting i mean i i'll get it <laughs> excuse me i mean I'll get excited, you know, next week I'm going to be trying to kill some bull mallards and, you know, I'll just get, that's just as fun for me as a bull elephant these oh, yeah. days, you know, wow. there's, um, but you know, hunting, uh, hunting has been good to me and I have in turn, uh, as a fully dedicated conservationist, you know, that's a hunter, you know, tried to return everything this great sport's given me. That's awesome. So, uh, what, what was Safari Classics? How did that come along and, and turning, like you said, the the vacation into vocation well seth i've got two partners of course tim dancliffe and christy funk and tim and i started the company and uh tim had a little company called timbuktu sporting adventures now he had worked for anheuser-busch for a 
15 years. And he had retired at a relatively early age, and he was booking hunts and was actually doing some filming in Africa, just basically trying to get promotional material to bring back and show friends. Uh, you this know, is what uh, we can do. Yeah. I was doing the same thing in a company called Total Outdoor Adventures, and it was also a guiding and outfitting business that I ran over about a three-state area. But those of you that may know Mark Sullivan, uh, you know, used to produce a bunch of stuff, death on the run, death in the this, death at your feet. And, uh, and Mark was known for that, you know, charging footage of elephants, especially buffalo. And, you know, he pushed some, pushed some limits, but I couldn't afford to write the check to get to Africa, but a camera got me started. Okay. And Mark had heard a little bit about my work, took me over there. And I think I got a lifetime of charges at a couple of years, you know, filming with Mark. And I kind of developed a reputation of a, you know, guy that would, you know, wouldn't throw the camera down and run with an elephant inbound at 10 yards. And one thing led to another. And Tim and I actually met. He was a president of the local uh, SCI chapter. I joined that back back in the day. And Tim and I just kind of found each other. He was doing the same thing I was doing. I was you know, doing it in different areas, <coughs> but we had, we had had a pretty big film library together. So we decided we were going to hit it big and we were going to produce some, some, and it was back VHS days. Oh yeah. And made a tape called Bush Tracks. And it was a, you know, conglomeration of different hunts we'd filmed jumping around Africa. Then our second one was called Tracks Across Africa. And, uh, you know, we thought we were doing really good. I think we were clearing about $8 per DVD. But really, it was great marketing for us. Okay. And it got us started. Well, we eventually decided to join forces. That time, we uh, <coughs> came out with a groundbreaking uh, DVD, and it was with Craig Boddington. Everybody knows Craig. Everybody knows and Craig. It was called Boddington on Buffalo. We were going to take, you know, Craig, and we were going to <coughs> excuse me, we were going to go to uh, Zimbabwe. We were going to do the end-all buffalo hunting, A to Z. And I mean, I am still proud. That's been 22 years ago, 23 years ago. I'm still proud of that, of that movie because it still stands up. Nothing in it has changed. A few of the places have changed, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me, where, where you're hunting. But, you know, the information is the same. That took off so good. We did another one. We did a Boddington on Leopard, and then we eventually did a Boddington on the whole series. But we took it to the Outdoor Channel. We took our concept to the Outdoor Channel. And at first, our first year, the fellow King, you know, there was a guy named Wade Sherman there. And he said, well, look, we told him about our concept. I said, we're doing stuff nobody else is doing. You know, we're not, we're not shooting whitetails and turkeys. We are doing Africa, and it's 95% dangerous game. And, of course, we brought a highlight reel yeah. and a sizzle reel. And he looked at it, and he said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. People make fun of us. They were the deer and turkey and bass deal. But that's what people do, and people don't want to watch stuff that they can't personally do. Seth, you've been around me enough. You know, I can have a third-degree black belt in sarcasm, Mm -hmm. and I said, well, Wayne, let me ask you that. I want to challenge you on that theory. I said, we just got through. This was like in February. We had the meeting. I said, in January, they had a little, little sporting event called the Super Bowl. And I don't remember how many billion people turned into that, but <laughs> there's only 52 guys per team and there's, you know, 32 teams. So that tells me a whole lot of folks that will never show up in an NFL training camp and put on pads 
enjoy that sport. Right. Just like we all watched Evil Knievel, you know, when he was going to jump, but I never thought about jumping over Caesar's Palace or, you know, any of the stuff, the... Yeah, the flaming uh, rings and yeah, the school buses. Well, what was that Seth Rogen show where they would eat the cave-dwelling spider oh. fear factor and do all yeah. that stuff? People like to be entertained. And Africa has always been a uh, Africa has been an aspirational dream for so many people. They yeah. say, I may never hunt there, but they're always interested in it. And so anyhow, he said, well, more or less, I'm going to take your money. I'll, I'll, I'll let you produce the show. We basically had the meeting in a broom closet. I mean, it, it, you know, and anyhow, so we we put our show on the first year. The next year we came back. He said, guys, come on in my office here. You know, Dave, sit in my chair. And I mean, you know, come on. I'm going to take you guys to lunch today. You know, we flew out to Temecula, California. <laughs> Things the game, have changed. Huh? And he just said, I, he said, I want to be man enough to say when I was wrong. He said, you guys have developed an incredible audience very, very quickly, and your numbers are great, and they're growing, and I, I just did not think that people, you know, because there's a lot more people going to hunt a whitetail than a Cape buffalo or a leopard, mm-hmm. but everybody's interested in it, and what you do truly is different. And that formula that we started 20 years ago is still, we haven't changed the formula. still works. We, it still works. You know, still we're, still doing, we're still doing the same thing. We as you know, we've more morphed into some different series, but the formula didn't need to change because it really was right off the get-go. It was right. Yeah. And we felt in our bones that it was right, and we were proving that it was. People are interested in, you know, adventure hunting, and there is uh, there is something different hunting Cape Buffalo than hunting, white-tailed you know, deer. hunting white-tailed deer yep. or hunting elephant or leopard. You know, every, you know, the dangerous game, you know, none of us want. The reality, you know, the end game, but we all want the, you know, just that thought when you unzip that tent in the morning, you know, it's go time. Well, but, but could it be the day, <clears throat> could it be the day my number's up? Yeah. You know, cause it does happen and, and that's part of the game. Wow. That's very exciting. And you mentioned, uh, how aspirational Africa is to a lot of folks and I'm certainly in that camp. And I think so many of us that, that grow up you know, out on the prairie or, or in the eastern part of the country where it's primarily whitetail and, and dense woods, or even the western hunter where you, you are getting in mule deer and elk, uh, there's something, again, I think aspirational is the perfect word. I'm not even sure of another synonym for that that, that embodies it, but you, you dream about it. One day maybe I could, and, and you see the, the photos, the videos, the videos like you mentioned where it's action-packed, and that there's something there that, yeah, that, that grabs the adventurous spirit that i think almost all outdoorsmen and hunters naturally have and so they gravitate towards that and after there's not another place that captures you know spain's got great hunting but people don't probably dream about spain canada has you know great World class yeah, yeah but 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 africa has that just literal international appeal and you know part of it's because of the great writing that's been done in sure. africa you know you've got you know, Hemingway, Roosevelt got it started. Americans got introduced to the safari as an experience with his 1909 safari that he did with Kermit, his son. And he wrote the great book, African Game Trails. And that literally introduced, you know, the American society to the possibility of, you know, what we still call the last great adventure, Africa. Yeah. And then, you know, different writers, you know, of course, Hoppe Hemingway came by and he was in the 40s and 50s and he's writing. And then, 
Bob Ruark came in after him. Uh, lots of different riders. Certainly, Craig Boddington had a had a, a an immense, yeah. you know, living legend in in that regard. Craig for sure. And, and we we like and I I I don't want to say we like to think because I know from what people I, I can't tell you how many times I've been stopped here at this show and people you know come up and say hey I I want to tell you how much we've always appreciated it and I want you to know we just booked our first safari here at DSC and I'm telling you. You guys showed us we could do this. Yep. That's got to put a smile on your well, face. I did an episode not long ago called Dreams with a Deadline. You know, we all can dream about this. You know, I want to do this. I want to climb Everest. I want to lose 50 pounds, whatever it is. But until you take action and you make a commitment, and in our world, that's in the form of a safari deposit check. Yep. You you put some money down. Now and you, you have a, a dream and you have a deadline. And I've had probably five or six guys tell me, just booked our first safari. I would have never done it without watching you guys. And you, you guys, you know, show that it's affordable or it's attainable. You know, if you've got to sacrifice, you know, to, to be able to write that check and, you know, save up for it, yeah. the experience will be worth it. And, boy, that is just – when a guy tells me that, I say, you have no idea. You made my day. Yeah. Well, not, you know, you, you say that. I've not heard a single person who was apprehensive about that to come home from their first African safari and regret doing it. Oh. And in fact, it's the opposite. Now they're thinking about selling kidneys because they want to go well, move there. They're, they're already planning their second safari before, before they, they've left the first safari. Oh, yeah. that happens. Yep. And, and, you know, I've got a friend, and he's probably been on 45 safaris. He did his first one in 1974, and he, and he booked a 28-day trip to Tanzania. He said, I'm going to get this out of my system. I mean, I'm going to do it once. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to try to cheat everything, you know, available to me in the areas I'm going to hunt. And that's going to be it. That That's going to be it. And, and you know, I told you, I mean, he's, yeah. he's been back and he, he's elderly and, you know, there's a whole lot more behind him than in front of him, but he still gets over there and, and he just enjoys being in camp now. Oh, and he can sure. afford it and he enjoys introducing friends to it and taking grandsons and stuff. And, and that, you know, yeah, it's a special place. That is awesome. So. That sounds like a, a, a pretty good uh, synopsis of how things came to be. So there's a, a special relationship between Safari Classics and Hornady Manufacturing. How did that come to be, and what is that? what does that relationship produce? Because we've got some TV shows that you guys do for us that are just phenomenal. Well, people wonder how the outdoor television business you know, works, and it's kind of, we call it pay-to-play. Okay. You know, if you, if you produce Seinfeld, you get a venture capitalist, you know, so we're going to produce a pilot and a couple of shows. You take it to NBC and they look at it and they say, yeah, we, we like it. We want to buy it and fund it. And then you, we're going to pay you royalties or whatever deal. That's not the way this business works. Okay. You know, there's, you know, you have to have a platform. Our platform partners for over 20 years have been the outdoor channel and sportsman's channel, but you know, you you as a producer, you know, pay for your own airtime okay. and then you take that and you sell that to sponsors and you know, whatever the difference at the end of the year between what you paid the network, what you paid in travel, cameraman employees and all that. If there's anything left, we call that your profit. <laughs> and you know, so the, the more sponsors you have, the better sponsors you have, the more profitable you can be. And look, Seth, you know, we're capitalists. I mean, we work yeah. really, really hard, but but we make a decent living at it. Yeah. A, a lot of producers, you know, I don't ever, you know, 
this is what I do for a living. And some people think, well, I'll get into it because I'll be able to get all these free hunts or I'll get free taxidermy or some guy, I'll go into bankruptcy, but it's okay if people recognize me at a uh, SCI or DSC or wild sheep, you know, I never, we never, we run our business like a business because that's what that's what it is. So job number one was having quality sponsors, keeping them happy. And Hornady was, was literally our second sponsor that we had. And not only did they come on with tracks, we eventually were creating such a multitude of, of content. And, and it really was Steve Hornady's idea. He said, you know, what could we do? You know, I know how much we're producing. He said, you know, I'd like to talk to you about doing a Hornady, you know, uh, you know, sponsored by Hornady as the presenting sponsor. And, and it, it, we ended up calling it dark and dangerous. So tracks, generally speaking, we do theme shows. Sometimes I'll do a show on the hunt for Buffalo or, you know, leopard Africa's greatest chess game, but generally it's a show, you know, where, you know, Seth, if you're coming on safari, well, basically you're met at the airport and we're with you from the fly in to camp through the entire safari okay. uh, and put you on the deal. It's kind of a documentary of yeah. your, of your safari. Now, Hornady's Dark and Dangerous is a little bit different. It's a really cool, unique format. So let's just say the first show of the year, Seth is hunting Cape Buffalo in Tanzania. Dave is hunting Leopard in Zimbabwe. And Steve is hunting uh, Plains Game in Namibia. Well, we'll start those shows. We'll go through them. And, you know, it'll be back you know, after the commercial break. Okay, now Seth has just got on tracks of a big elephant. And, you know, you're pursuing that. And then, then okay, well, back to Namibia. Steve is... I just spotted a big kudu and you know they're making a move and and a couple of weeks into it you'll get your elephant and you'll cycle off the show steve and dave will be heading towards the end of their safaris but we'll introduce somebody new well here comes somebody else they're hunting bongo and and car so you've got three different episodes that are going at any one time and it kind of moves around and Action-packed. Well, it's action-packed, but you're getting to see a whole lot of Africa in in each episode. Okay. And that has proved to be, uh, you know, we had never done one like that, and but it proved, uh, you know. Good format. And I get, a, I get a kick out of Steve because, you know, we'll be walking around these deals and people, Mr. Horny, I, just, I love your show. You know, and he <laughs> says, yes, it is my show. And, and Steve gets a big kick. I think he enjoys the recognition. But we both enjoy people saying that, that is really one of the most entertaining shows on the network. I mean, I just like the format. And uh, Steve comes, you know, Steve is a genuine guy. You know, there's no pretense of Steve Hornady. He, you know, you know what Steve is thinking, yes, good or do. bad. Yep. And Steve, uh, Steve has always had a way. He and I just hit it off when we met. We we kind of have the same uh, 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 personality. <laughs> we have a sarcasm. Both of us are absolutely deadly with practical jokes. <laughs> and we have played some that are so epic with each other. Neither one of us ever hardly believes anything the other says because we, we're, we're trying to look where the bear trap is we're about to fall in. But I, I tell you, I love Steve Hornady and, and all you guys. I mean, you guys are, well, we don't look as Hornady as sponsors. I mean, you guys are family with us. I mean, you know, we have deep ties and friendships to this company, uh, and not just because of the people, you know, Seth for the product absolutely yeah you can't go on as far and shoot something if you don't have something to shoot well look there's you know there's different we always try to be very frank and very honest in our promotions of products and and 
we're in a fortunate situation, you know, that we've been around long enough. Our sponsor partners have stayed with us for years. It's, it's a terrible rule if you're out there having to chase new sponsors all the time. Probably says you're not doing something right if you're always now adding new sponsors is fine. But, you know, if you're Hornady one year, Brand X the next year, and then Brand B the next year, it's something you're not satisfying the sponsor or the market, uh, you know, and, and, and that's really important to us. But, you know, to develop that to develop that relationship with the people and which then translates into the product. And, you know, some of these products, you know, we've, uh, I don't want to take any kind of credit, but, you know, we are consulted on. Sure. We're thinking about doing this or that, and we want you to try this. You know, you guys uh, are all hunters. I just cannot imagine a manufacturer of most of the products out here being successful if the people that are building it don't understand the use for it and yep. they're not passionate and they don't use, you know, every product that, that a customer will walk into a store or order online from Hornady. Believe me, that has been shot by you guys, by the engineers oh, yeah. and then the staff, everybody up in to, you know, including Jason and Steve, you know, they are hunters and you're, and they'll say, you know, we're out testing products that, that to make sure it, it makes the grade and something we're comfortable for you to go hunting with. Yep. Whether it's your white tail or a charging bull elephant. Yep. Yeah, that, that is something that I can say, and I've mentioned it on our podcast many times, that we take so incredibly serious, almost to the point where it feels like, and I've been on our ballistic development group and our product development uh, group uh, at Hornady, it feels sometimes like we're almost doing things selfishly because when I was designing products, I was designing products for me. I wanted. I was trying to design products that I deeply wanted to use, that I knew were going to be great and improve my success. And as a corollary, it also helps you know the the shooting industry as a whole. Now that's not our focus, but uh, like I said, it, it almost feels like that because I'm such a passionate user, and the entire product development team, they're hunters, they're shooters, they're competitors, and we do that purposefully. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's something that we, like I said, take take very serious. Well, so I was going to ask you about there's some other shows that have spawned now what is the format similar to hornady's dark and dangerous well we have another show called tridgecon's world of sports the field mm -hmm. and of course tridgecon is a long time you know right. partner of ours and you know they're their title sponsor you know and like you know dsc is the title sponsor of of tracks across africa but of course you guys are what we call major sponsors sure. then we have smaller sponsorship packages available but Every one of our big major sponsors, you know, Tridgecon, you know, Remington, Hornady, DSC, each time we create a series, they migrate over to that as well. It's not one or the other. Okay. You guys sponsor all of our deals. Now, the neat thing about the Tridgecon show, it allows us to kind of, because I love Africa, but, you know, like you, I like hunting. I like hunting. I like, travel. I like traveling and I like seeing new places and, the, and, the, and I've done that most of my adult life. And the Tridgecon show. Uh, you know, we called it the world of sports of field because one of the partners in it is sports of field magazine. Okay. So that show is exactly the, you know, it's a, it's a, a, you know, a video content, exactly like the written content of sports field magazine, America's oldest, you know, most exciting adventure hunting publication. It's not trout fishing. We don't shoot grouse and ducks and stuff. It is international. 
big game hunting. You can't say that without putting a smile on somebody's face. Well, that's it. So, so adventurous. So for that, you know, for that show, I mean, we could be in Texas hunting whitetail, Tanzania the next week, Russia, uh, you know, anywhere in the Russia, world, Russia, anywhere on planet Earth, and and we have now visited all five of the continents on that series, and you know, we're circling back several times doing that. Wow. So you know, we we really the, the world of sports the field is very descriptive of that series. We're really proud of it, and it, it's fun for us because it kind of, you know, it spreads your horizon. Yep, absolutely. Well, it sounds like with the shows, the, the, the format of the show, the sponsorships, the, the relationships, and then the, the content creation is just amazing. So changing gears from TV show a little bit, um, you as a company and then you as an individual, Dave, uh, especially with Dallas Safari Club, so much of that focus is conservation. And, and making the, the hunting world better than when it, when you got into that. So what does uh, uh, Safari Classics and what does Dave do uh, in regard to the boards, the committees, the conservation, that kind of thing? Well, when I walk around th- this thing, I mean, you know, my company, uh, we're on deck here about two hours before the show starts and about two hours after the last hammer falls on the last auction item of the evening. We have an incredible incredibly uh close working relationship not only is everybody in my company lifetime members of dsc uh you know my partner tim sits on the dsc board proper the dsc board i sit on the dsc foundation board okay and then we were both founding members of the what we call the dsc frontline foundation board which is a financial assistance fund set up to help professional hunters in Africa, guides, outfitters, their staff anywhere in the world. And three years ago, we now are including, you know, the anti-poaching personnel. It's a financial fund where if, if an accident happens in the line of providing professional services, you know, somebody's hurt or somebody's killed. And, you know, we've had, it started with, you know, one of our senior hunters at Chafuti Safaris, which we were the American partners of, a big Big, big firm. We were as big as it was for about 10 years. But, uh, you know, we had one of our professional hunters was killed. Wow. And we ended up, you know, between Tim and myself and some of his clients and people that had heard about it, uh, you know, we raised about $60,000 for his widow. Wow. Within about a month. And Tim and I said, we need to talk to DSC. This is something, you know, there's something here. Yeah. And of course, DSC jumped on that with both feet because DSC sees everybody here as a partner. You're not a customer as much as a, 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 you know, vendors here are partners of DSC. The money that DSC makes off this show, and a lot of it comes from booth sales and stuff, mm-hmm. that is what funds what we call conservation through hunting. Sure. And, and, and the board that I sit on, the DSC Foundation, we are the we're a fundraising, you know, uh, arm of DSC because, you know, for years and years, you know, DSC, our main revenue source, we're here. It's right. a four day convention in January. And that's a little bit of a scary business proposition. If you think about it, it is, or, you know, a business plan, because what if something comes along, something like COVID yeah, that knocks us down for a year and you realize you've got to have alternative fundraising sources because to win our fights, you know, uh, it's, it takes money. It does. You know, good wishes and pats on the back and attaboys are not going to win these fights. Like we're in the fight of our life for importation 
is, is the battleground right now. And the antis say, now they don't, they've never cared about the animals. You know, the animals are, are, are just their means to a, a greater end. Uh, we have, science has proven years and years and years and years where hunting is thriving, animal populations explode. Yep. Where hunting is stopped, the animal has no more value to the local people, especially in rural areas like Africa and in lots of Asia and stuff. Uh, when a local population and a local government benefits, from the financial windfall of legal, regulated sport hunting, they now have an investment in the animals. And so, you know, for instance, we say in Africa, you know, like Kenya, they took away the animals. There was, there was, when, uh, when a guy's out there working five days a week, six days a week in his little maize patch, mm-hmm. and that's his livelihood and what he eats. You know, two bull elephants move in there and they wipe it out in one night. Well, you know, he's got an old muzzle loader and he's shooting a piece of shower curtain rod at him, anything to get him out of the field. And if they run off and they die, fabulous. And nobody, you know, utilizes the meat or anything. They're just monsters in his everyday life. He wants them out of there. Now, if that, and that's how it happened. You know, if there's a poacher operating in that area, they'll tell the guy, oh, there's a bunch of elephants there. Come shoot them all. Oh, wow. Now, if that happens in a country like that, but again, Kenya doesn't have hunting. And their wildlife population has shrunk to about an eighth of what it was in the 1950s. Really? So they stopped hunting in 1978, and their populations, animal populations, have just dropped off the scale. Wow. You have a country like Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe has a carrying capacity of 38,000 elephants. We have over 80,000 elephants in the country right now, and we have one of the, I mean, it's one of the greatest conservation stories. I mean, we need to hunt a lot more elephants than we're allowed to do to keep the population stable, and, and elephants can wipe out the habitat. That's a big animal. They can wipe it out in, in, in an incredibly short period of time if they're not you know regulated. But anyhow, there, there are values. So that same farmer in Zimbabwe, if if he gets his field damaged or whatever, you know, he understands, you know, we work with the communities over there. We work with the, the, the communal, you know, tribes and stuff. And each one elephant we shoot is basically generally about worth about $5,000 of cash into that community. $5,000 of U.S. currency into rural Zimbabwe is unbelievable. Carries a little stroke with it. Not to mention. The meat is freely given to the community. Employment opportunities, which are non-existent in most rural areas, and we're hiring trackers, we're hiring skinners, we're hiring cooks, we're hiring people that take care of the camp staff, mechanics, road builders, everything. Lucky is the rural citizen that lives in an area of the hunting community because he has so much opportunity. Mm-hmm not available to those that don't live in, wow. in those type of areas. So hunting not only carries its weight, I mean, it delivers a, a better life than they could ever even pray to imagine, you know, without it. So, you know, the conservation through hunting, uh, imperative, it works all over. It, 
it it's works been demonstrated everywhere it, in the world. Yeah, it flat works, and that's such an amazing story. That yeah, that you know, it's almost preaching to the choir because I feel like as a as a community of hunters, we understand that, and the people that don't want to understand that don't want to understand yeah. that. They kind of probably purposefully turned a blind eye to it because it's been demonstrated time and time again that yeah, hunting conservation works or conservation through hunting. That's a good way to put it. And it sounds like you personally in between Safari Classics and obviously everybody here at DSC um, putting a lot of effort and emphasis on that because it's it's cool to go on a hunt, but it's also cool to prolong that and, and cultivate that environment and the culture so that your sons and your son's sons and mm. your, your son's son's sons can and enjoy the same thing and have healthy, sustainable populations. Well, you can see it at work. When you go over there, I mean, you will see the employment happening, and you'll drive through some very impoverished areas, but you will see what opportunity, you know, hunting offers the people, everything from the most basics of things to keep you alive, food, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, shared, and, and I don't, I mean, I, I couldn't begin to tell you how many hundreds of meat drop-offs I've done in Africa and to see everybody pouring out of there and just, you know, smiles that big in a population that doesn't have a lot to smile about. But when that meat pulls up yeah. and man, I mean, everybody, even the little kid, you know, they learn, you know, they got their little pot and you carve a big old piece off and man, they're, but yeah, it's, it, it's very satisfying to see your dollars at work and you mm -hmm. see these people employed. And when you, you drive into that camp and those people there to greet and they're dancing yeah. and they're clapping, that's not an act. They they're are, they are thrilled to have you there. That's awesome. And, and like you said, satisfying to, it, to know that is. you're taking part in that. It, it absolutely is. And again, when you're supporting an outfitter, the outfitter supporting that, you know, your part of it is coming in and spending the dollars with them and, you know, buying, you know, buying the tags and, you know, most successful safari operations now have pet projects like anti-poaching projects that are that are in in part and largely supported by customers and they'll say listen i think you've seen our area you've seen our guys that whole shed over is full of snares and you know we've caught you know 32 poachers this year and uh, you know we make a lot our foundation makes a ton of grants to anti-poaching yeah well something Africa. needs to be taken serious and we film it a lot we're in those village we've been in on raids we our camera crews have you know slept in the dirt you know sneaking up and trying to nail these guys wow. and and you know uh you know we show the suffering of the animals and stuff because you you got to put it in front of people's faces you know sure. dying by a snare is a terrible thing you know, either the hyenas come and eat you alive if they find you before a guy with a big spear that just comes in there and jabs you 50 times before you, I mean, yeah, that's a terrible thing. Poachers, uh, you know, whether it's just the guy poaching for the pot or the guy that's, you know, doing it as a criminal enterprise, which is a lot of it. Really? Uh, you know, it is, we fight them and we fund fights against them at, I mean, it is a battleground that we are intent on trying to win, Excellent. but it is a tough, I mean, it's just like fighting the Taliban. I mean, they're dug in, it's their land. Uh, they can be difficult to defeat, but they can be defeated. And, you know, we're one of the things I'm really, there's a guy named Keith Sparks and, and he's got a deal called take action trust, a game changer in the world of poaching, especially in Africa has been the use of canines. Oh, really? And, and you know, we're, 
you know, they have the one thing we don't have. You know, they can see at night. We can if you have night vision, but, but we don't have the nose. And these teaching these dogs to get on the tracks with these poachers, wow. you know, where they can do it at a run and even your best, you know, buffalo trackers having to, you know, track people and it's a slow going deal, but, but they're gone. They're five miles away as you're trying to look at which direction they actually took. And he puts that dog down there and that thing shoots like a bullet out there and you've got a GPS and you guys better be in shape, the handlers, cause, and armed. Because you're taking it's just like you know hunting a mountain lion or something. The yep. dog follow you follow the dog. Yep. And wow. Uh, and we are putting a lot of financial assistance behind various dog programs. I think the one keep Keith has with Take Action Trust, but he's training the dogs in Zim. But now they are going. They are shooting off Everywhere. into a lot of different areas. Everywhere there's not Titsi flies. Unfortunately, we can't get them into Titsi areas because the Titsi flies are their bite is fatal to domestic animals. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so, a, you know, a chicken, a dog, anything like that, a titi fly, you can get in them and, and it'll, it'll kill them. But, you know, throughout a lot of Southern Africa, you don't have titis. Okay. So, uh, you know, these dogs are a game changer. I mean, they can run at night. They, you know, they, they are a 24-hour-a-day anti-poaching weapon. But that's, it, that's I've been awesome. in some of the camps watching the training and stuff. Man, it's it's these things are just unbelievable and they're changing the landscape and we are some of my favorite grants i'm always a champion for that grant when some of these canine opportunities come by yep. we usually jump on them pretty hard on the foundation because we have seen the boots on the ground success of them yeah well and, and canines used for for a variety of things but on the military side and certainly in the policing this side the same thing they're so so they're so smart and the breeds that are selected and how they're trained they're so eager to work and they'll work themselves to death if you let yep. them a lot of times. And that's a it's neat to see a dog uh, well-trained that is tenacious. Well, that's, we had one of our one of our best dogs, a female, and she literally was one of our, you know, you have superstars and, and you know, players or dogs. And, and she was, and just a couple of months ago, she got too far out in front of the pack and ran into a, a camp of guys that had camped down for the evening, but they had machetes. Oh. And and they lit, literally cut her to cut her to pieces down and in a blaze want, of glory. Brother, you want to talk about you know tears hitting the dirt uh, when everybody got up on that scene and they had just cut her to pieces and she was still alive, but she just outdistanced yep. everybody else and she got into the fight before everybody else could actually get there. One dog you can deal with, two or three dogs coming at you from different angles, yep. brother. That's a whole that's a whole different deal. Yeah. Well, you can rest assured. Uh, that dog, although it sounds uh, like a, a, a pretty poor ending, I bet she was doing everything that she had ever wanted she to do was, as a dog. She was doing what she was born to do. Yep. And, and anyhow, we did make the arrest and stuff. And, Excellent. And so it, uh, it wasn't uh, for naught. It wasn't, it wasn't yep. for naught. And so many uh, pups that came out of her are destined to yep. be her equal or better. That's and, awesome. And, you know, it is, uh, you know, Dog guy, you know how dog guys are. They oh, are very gosh. attached to their. It's dogs. like losing a family member well, sometimes. It uh, really you is. You know the military guys that run dogs and stuff. When they send that thing in there, you just you know your heart. You love that animal. Yeah, it's a working partner. But human beings and dogs have had affinities. You know, unlike any other you know partnership. Yep. And when you send them into harm's way, you know there is just that's that's 
it's hard. I yeah. mean, and when you lose them, I mean, it's just like those military guys. They lost a partner, you know, that's a, a four-legged warrior. I mean, and you, you learn over there, you know, a warrior runs towards the fight, right? They yeah. run toward the gunfire, you know, not away from it. And not all warriors fight on two legs. Right on. We got a lot of four-legged warriors. And they're followed by two-legged warriors. Yeah. And, and when, when, when they get there together, the bad guy's in trouble. Excellent. Well, and that, that's a, such a, uh, a big problem. And it sounds great that, you, you know, it's being attacked from so many different angles with so much uh, ferociousness because, yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be handled. And uh, the Dallas Safari Club, you know, I learned a lot about the Dallas Safari Club as a whole. And, you know, you hear about it. And before you really know what's going on, you kind of have this idea, or at least I did, um, that Dallas is in the name, you know, but they do conservation efforts all over the entire world, just say, not that, just Africa, not just no. in Texas. Based in Dallas, representing the world. Yep, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's what it is. Yep. Based in Dallas, representing the world. That's, yeah, a good way to put it. Well, Dave, on behalf of everybody at Hornady, our partnership is always great. We love what you do for us and what you do for conservation and what you do for the shooting community as a whole and the hunting community we really do appreciate it and i appreciate you i mean you're a busy guy at this show as you mentioned not getting a lot of sleep and i appreciate you carving out some time to talk well, with us. well i've been looking forward to it and right behind us i i just glanced over your shoulder and i want i want to close by saying this there was man i was starting on it on the story earlier and i got off track but you know i there's some guys out there say, well, I trust my life to the, my sleeping bag. I trust my life to my boots. I trust my life to this. Yeah, you know, I don't trust my life to my toothbrush and all that. Yeah. You know you know what I do trust my life to? Hornady dangerous game. Bullets. Yeah. And, 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 you know, because I, you know, when I, when I say, you know, that is the, you talk about the, the front line and the last line, you know, it, that's the thing the business in, not the rifle, not, you know, if that doesn't perform, it's all for naught, you know, and you're, you're going to you get killed doing what we do. When I say, you know, not just trusting, you know, the quality of the product, you know, but literally in Africa, every time we hunt, we, it is not hyperbole that we trust our life to horn in the ammunition. You can't really give, if you're saying that honestly, you can't really give a company uh, better credo, uh, no, you can't. kudos than that. Yeah, no, but, I mean, there's, there's not too many things you literally trust your life to. And every time we unzip the tent over there, you know, and we're loaded with Hornady ammunition, which we are, you, you accept that you may eventually come down to a situation. You got to prove it. Yep. And you, you, your equipment has to prove itself. And you know, if, if I don't, if a Buffalo or an elephant doesn't get knocked down, it, it won't be the ammunition's fault. It'll be the shooter's fault. Yeah. But I know I go into the bush and our clients that hunt with our, and we ask, you know, well, I want to know what you're shooting, you know, which brand. Yeah. Yeah. I can kill a Buffalo. It's not my favorite choice. And as an outfitter, you know, our clients lean heavily on our advice and, you know, literally I say, well, what do you, I said, well, you know what we shoot and we don't just shoot it for a deal. And I hate to say Steve Hornady, you know, get to hear this because he may not pay me. <laughs> We're going to shoot Hornady bullets if if Hornady uh, decided to start making golf clubs tomorrow, you know, we would be looking for another bullet. We know our bullet. 
Excellent. You know, and I mean, we would shoot our Hornady ammunition until we ran out of it. That's and awesome. And you couldn't refill the order. Then we'd have to make a plan B. But you make the best ammunition, you know, in the industry. And even better, it's made by the best people in the industry. Gosh. And we are so honored. Uh, like I said, we don't think you guys as our sponsors. You know, y'all are our partners. Excellent. Yes, and we Dave, hope y'all feel the same. It, it's, it's definitely uh, well accepted uh, in the Hornady Four Walls that, yes, this is definitely a partnership and we're happy for it. So thanks again, Dave. Mm, for, thanks for having me on. For everybody that had to sit there and listen to my squeaky voice, I'm, I'm recovering from the flu and have only talked to about 15,000 people yeah, in the last four, four days. days of a trade so, show. man, for all the little coughing, and <clears throat> I'm sorry, but you no, know, that's, I that's, hope we powered through it. We did indeed. Everybody out there, hopefully you enjoyed this one. And if you aren't already, hopefully this inspires you to get out, join an organization that's focused on conservation, and we'll catch you guys on the next one.